Good morning, beloved. I'm Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. We are in the second Sunday of Lent, and we're in this series focused on the Psalms as a guide to deeper prayer and commitment to God. The Psalms teach us how to approach God in prayer and to help develop a deep and personal relationship. The Psalms have been called the hymn book of the Old Testament because it's clear that they were, they were meant to be not only sung in worship, but to have us utilize them individually and also corporately. And even as traveling along to a journey. And so, we find that the Psalms are a gift from God. They're thousands and thousands of years old, but they still hold true in the human experience in the now. The value of the Psalms is, is they enable us to channel our emotions, negative, positive. And the Psalms help us to express praise and pain, and they help us to receive God's words of comfort and healing and also challenge. Last Sunday, we reflected on the purposes of God's word as given in Psalm 1 and 2, and those two Psalms launch us into the rest of the 148. We learned that people who read and meditate on God's word become happy or blessed, delighting in God's word by reading and meditating and then putting in the practices of righteousness and God's law that leads to incredible fruitfulness and joyful obedience. Today we come to a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. And these types of psalms shout out exultation in the greatness of our God. Psalm 8 is one of the most beautiful praise and thanksgiving psalms. And today we have the honor and privilege to examine it. It's written by David or the choir director, and David even makes specific instructions that it ought to be sung to a stringed instrument. I wish I had one of those stained glass voices, because I would love to read it and proclaim this message in that type of voice, because it's just that way. So away we go. Listen to this. I, I invite you just to close your eyes and listen to it. It's not going to be up on the screen, but just listen to this psalm and meditate on its words and receive them. O oh Lord, our Lord, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him the ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name. Did you notice or hear that David says, O Lord, O Lord, twice. In some Bibles, the first O Lord is capitalized because it refers to God as Yahweh, meaning 
God the great I am. Eternal God who rules and reigns on high. Yahweh is a very sacred name, my friends. In the Exodus story, Moses says to God, suppose I I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of your fathers have sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? What do I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am sent me. Meaning Yahweh. Doesn't sound very personal, does it? I am. Holy other. Then David uses the word Lord again. And it translates over into a different name of God. And that is Adonai. Which refers to to a ruler who who has been given authority and power to oversee kingdoms. Kings were referred to as Lord for hundreds and thousands of years. And that's more of a personal word than Yahweh. Therefore, David is stating, O Yahweh, O Adonai, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You are holy other You reign majestically over the universe, yet you reign near and close and personal. In 1994, uh, Kim and I joined her parents and her sister on a getaway to beautiful Michigan. We rented an RV. We visited like Mackinac Island and Elk Rapids where her grandfather lived and Traverse City, and eventually we made our way up to the Upper Peninsula, which is called the UP. One vivid memory I have is I was walking out away from the campground, and I was standing in a field, and I was looking up at all of the stars. And there were billions of stars there. And it helped put some things into perspective for me. You know, we're in the Milky Way galaxy. And thousands of thousands of light years, it takes that long to get across the Milky Way galaxy in our universe. Unfathomable number of stars and planets that God spoke into being. And this psalm, it certainly helps in making adjustments to who we are and our view of reality in our lives. David reveals to us God's view of reality in such a way that when we know it, it should reorient our lives and set our priorities in revealing a right view of God, as well as a rightful place in God's creation, in his kingdom, and in worship, Yahweh and Adonai. This psalm also reminds us that we are not the center of the universe. God is. I have a confession to make. There was a very long period of my life when I thought that I was the center of the universe. Life was all about Jonathan. Self-absorbed, self-centered. Self-centeredness still tries to worm its way into my reality. A psalm like this, my friends, is the remedy for that toxic self-absorption. In fact, compared to God's wonders of God's creation, I'm pretty small, and you are pretty small too. Psalm 8 also helps us 
look at the word independence differently as well. Many, many times I think we, we think of the word independence as I dependence. This psalm helps us rack and stack our lives in a right order. It's a perfect life calibration song for this time of year in our Lenten journey. On Christmas Eve 1968, William Anders and Jim Lovell and Frank Borman orbited the moon on Apollo 8 240,000 miles from Earth. How did they celebrate that historic occasion? They could not help but to read Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This psalm of David helps us contemplate the creator and the created order. And the fact that we are not the center of the universe. Yahweh Adonai is. David's view of God is expressed through the very structure of this psalm. The first and last verses speak of the majesty of his name. David bookends the psalm with that. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name. It's as if he's proclaiming God is the beginning and the end of everything. This sovereign God is truly majestic and great and also ours. God is ours to behold personally, intimately. Therefore, we cannot understand who we are until we understand who we are in relation to God. Bill Bryson, in his book, A Short History of Nearly Everything, says it's a miracle that we exist. Trillions of atoms coming together for approximately, on average, 650,000 hours, and then begin to silently disassemble and go off to other things. There never, never will be something like us, humans, Again, for 650,000 hours, we are unique miracles that exist. Bryson contends that it's likely one of our atoms was once a part of Shakespeare. <laughs> In a few hundred years before we were even thought of by our parents, atoms were a part of a leaf or a tree And we will be that way a few years after we die. Ash Wednesday, this time of year, reminds us that our bodies came from the dust, and to dust they shall return. Yet we are miracles beyond comprehension. Because God created us in His image and breathed into us His own spirit. And the only reason we can claim at all to uniqueness or importance is our relationship to the almighty, everlasting God, humongous, capital G. In Psalm 103, uh, Jacqueline and Eric sang the beginning of that psalm, uh, the praise to almighty God. And then that psalm finishes out the last four verses to the reign of God. Listen to this. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding. 
who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works over everywhere in his dominion. David helps us to see that God is the one who deserves all of our thanks and our praise. God is the one without whom the universe would not even exist. Therefore, in light of all of this, we should absolutely put God first in our lives, our top priority. It's common to hear Christians say, Putting, put God first, or to counsel others to make sure God has first place in your lives. And such expressions are often uh, trite or Christian cliche, but there's nothing trite or cliche about the idea of putting God first. It's, in fact, it's thoroughly biblical. <laughs> it's the way, the path of our lives. Everyone has priority. We arrange our, our schedules, our budgets, our relationship upon that and perceived importance. Putting God first means we give top priority over everything else. He's the principal figure in our lives, central to all we do and think. And when we choose to put God first, we determine that he is more important than any other person. And that his word is valuable, more valuable than any other message. And his will is weightier than any other imperative, my friends. Putting God first means that we obey his orders, his commandments with joyful obedience, especially love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, we must totally be invested in our relationship with God. Everything we have and everything we are is devoted to him. And we should hold nothing back in our praise and in our worship. Putting God first means that we keep our lives also free of idolatry in any form. God says to us in the Bible, dear children, keep yourself from idols. An idol is anything that replaces the one true God in our hearts. Gideon in Judges chapter 6 Verses 25 and 26, when he demolishes the altar of Baal and he chops down the Asherah pole, we also must tear down any idol that tries to put its priority above God. Anything in our hearts that lessens our devotion and reverence of God. As Gideon built an altar to the Lord to replace the idolatrous images, we must dedicate ourselves to the worship of the one true God who is not made with human hands. Putting God first means that we strive also to follow the footsteps of Jesus Christ, who showed us what, it, what God is and his character. Jesus Christ came as a great Adonai to show us the righteousness and holiness of God. And the life was characterized, his life was characterized by total submission to the Father's world, uh, will and the, and the service to others and to prayer and devotion. In the garden when Jesus faced the most unthinkable agony, he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And so we see Jesus' words and actions, they all come from God. And it shows us what God is like. 
Jesus glorified the Father in every detail of his life, and he accomplished all that he had been sent to do. And Jesus taught us to seek first the kingdom of God, the reign of God, above anything else and above everything else. That is, we are to seek the things of God over the things of the world. We are to seek also salvation in the wholeness and healing we have in God. You know, we have this inherited kingdom that we exist in, and we have to consider the inherent value of anything else in this world. You know, the Apostle Paul was walking through Athens, and he was distressed by all the the idols. In fact, it says in Acts 17 that he was distressed. And then he came upon this altar to an unknown God. And Paul was given an opportunity to speak to these people who formed these idols and altars. There are a bunch of Greeks. And he said this in Acts 17, 24 through 28. Take a look at this with me. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives... He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed time in history and the boundaries in their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he's not far, far From any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. It's as if uh, Paul were saying, you know, you're trying hard to know God. Stop with the statues and these funky altars. You can know God. You can live and exist in relationship and have your being in existence in him, in the one true God, through Jesus Christ. The early church declared that he was the word of God who came, and he is the word of God today. He is the word, the way, the truth, and the life for our existence. There's an ancient legend that tells about a cave that heard the voice of the sun beckoning it, beckoning it to come out into the light. The cave responded that it did not understand, for it had known nothing about darkness, or but darkness. However, the sun persisted in calling the cave to come out. Finally, the cave emerged from its place in the ground and came out to the surface for the very first time. It was utterly amazed at the glorious, glorious brilliance of the sunlight. This was a thrilling occasion that the cave wanted to reciprocate. It invited the sun to come down and experience the darkness as the cave had experienced the light. The sun agreed and descended into the cave. But when the sun came into the cave, however, there was no darkness at all. For the sun lit every corner, crevice of the cave. 
In the same way, Jesus Christ came into the world as the light for the world. When God became incarnate in the human flesh, light came to all humans. There was no longer darkness in understanding the character and the compassion and the grace of God and the abundant life in him. That's the greatest gift that God shows us, how to live and move and have being. And we have our being in that and walk in the light in the darkness of this world. He can become a reality in the life of every person, you and me, and everyone on this earth. Therefore, we can know who we are completely, my friends. It's easy to feel, feel as if we are swallowed up in a universe as vast as ours, isn't it? But David continues in this psalm saying, when I consider your heavens, And the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. God is mindful. Now take this. God is mindful of the fact that you can feel insignificant in this life. As you exist in this universe. We can feel sometimes utterly alone. And God understands that. However, Jesus Christ came to show us the acceptance of God, of us, the love of God in a very deep and personal way. Jesus raises us into the light of God and removes the darkness from this world out of our lives, my friends, and ministers very personally to us. Here's the reality that God chose to breathe his breath into our lives and lift us up into the highest heights in the reality, partnering with Jesus Christ as our Lord. And yes, we're lower. The psalm says we are lower in the heavenly beings. Yes, but yet we are crowned with glory and honor as his beloved. Ephesians 2.6 says, And God raised up Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we are cherished by God, we are lifted up with Christ, and we have complete access to our holy God. When Jesus died on the cross, he shows us that complete access, and we happen, that happens through the vehicle of prayer. When Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn symbolically from top to bottom, and it symbolized that we were no longer separated from God. We can come before God with confidence in prayer and we can bring anything to his feet. We can have direct personal prayer relationship with God because of the ministry of Jesus Christ. We have complete and total access to God 24/7, my friends. The reality of who God is and our relationship to God should change the way we operate in life. It should change our priorities. The number one priority in our lives should be living for God, praising, giving thanks for his steadfast faithfulness and his strength becoming our strength. And we experience these benefits in him and through him as we live and move and have our being in him. 
It should change our perspective. We see the right relationship we have with God. You see, God chose us, chose, chose to make us in his image. We are material, spiritual, material, spiritual at the same time and his. The reality of who God is should also change our purpose. David said in Psalm 8, You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, all the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. A part of our purpose is to partner with God in caring for God's creation and to show his majesty in his name and through his name to all the earth, all creation. Finally, it should change our prayers. We can talk to God. Specifically, my friends, as beloved children. I love the story of the daughter who set out to introduce her elderly mother, mother <laughs> to the words, uh, to one, sorry, to the wonders of the internet. She went to this popular site, that website, ask.com, A-S-K.com. She told her mother that, that that website could answer any question, any of her questions. And the mother looked skeptical. She goes, it's true, Mom, the daughter said. Think of something to ask, and this website will have the answer. They sat there for a moment, and the mother, in all seriousness, in a serious voice, said, okay. Ask my sister Helen how she's feeling. Ask.com doesn't know that. Doesn't know how Aunt Helen is feeling. But God does. God knows us intricately. We have significance only because God has given us significance. And we can know God and ask For these ministry, the benefits of him to come into our lives. We can speak to God about significant subjects as we live and go through this journey called life. God knows you. God knows how you are feeling right now. God is as near to you as your own breath. And beloved, this should change our priority, our perspective, our purpose, and our prayers forever and ever. You're not insignificant. No, sir. No, ma'am. You're not insignificant, lost in the vastness of this universe. We're crowned by God with glory and honor. How? Through Jesus Christ. Therefore, proclaim with me, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Calibrate your life on this Lenten journey. Know that you are not the center of the universe. God is. It's not about you. It's about God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in a triune ministry unto us, three in one. God loves you, and God has put you in this amazing universe for an incredible purpose in his will. And God chooses to be near and to know you. So, what's what's our response? 
worship. Worship. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, in you we live and move and have our being. You speak to us, you call us beloved children. You've done everything in order for us to be received as beloved. God, help to change our priorities, our perspective, our purpose, and our prayers. And we know you're going to do that. You're faithful. We're not insignificant. You speak to us. You lift up our, our heads and you call us son and daughter. And we are crowned with you in glory and honor. Oh, Lord, how majestic is your name. Oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, set our priorities and calibrate our lives as we journey together as the body of Christ so that we can be the body of Christ serving this world, being your hands and feet. We thank you and we praise you and we pray this in and through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.